0: Welcome to another episode of Loving Angels Instead. My name is Mel.
1: And my name is Maya.
0: Today we will be talking about the importance of entrepreneurial background and experience when it comes to angel investing with Max Mendler. Hello Max, thank you very much for
2: joining. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Max, I think it's fair to say that you spend your time dealing with one of the most important topics of society, which is education. Uh, you are the founder of Lehrermarktplatz.de, a marketplace where teachers buy and sell teaching resources, and you invested into Sofa Tutor. But before we get into your investments, let's start with your entrepreneurial background. When and why did you found uh, Lehrermarktplatz.de?
2: I started Lehrermarktplatz in 2016 together with three co-founders, Viola Stark and Dominik Dresel and Alex Kolopaev. And we felt that there was a huge market education. It's fairly untouched by entrepreneurship. And yet there are things broken that we felt could need some fixing. So we started Marktplatz to help teachers prepare for lessons. And we believe that that's the first step of making education a tiny bit better for kids. And what exactly do you do? It's an online platform, so as a teacher you can upload your teaching resources. There could be a lesson plan or a worksheet or homework or a test that you've prepared for your own class. and Then others can use that as inspiration for their own teaching, so they might buy it from you. You can also share it for free if you want.
1: How did you stumble across this problem? Is there any personal touchpoint of one of the founders?
2: One of the founders worked for one of the big uh, German publishers for Klett and uh, continuously was approached by teachers asking to share their own stuff outside of the big course books, but within the functioning of a big publisher, that that didn't work. So he always had that thought in mind. And I, at the same time, was uh, working on solutions for student feedback for teachers or experience share amongst principals, all great ideas that never took off beyond the first 10 users. And then when we met, we decided to give that resource sharing platform a go, and it actually worked.
0: Have you always had
2: kind of a founder uh, mindset? Did you always want to build your own company? That's two questions, actually. I think I might have always had a founder's mindset, at least in a mixture of naivete and perseverance and slightly overestimating my own capabilities. But no, I never thought of founding a company. I'm not from an entrepreneurial <laughs> family background, so that was by pure chance.
1: How did you cross that threshold?
2: It was in 2003, I was working for a UK-based startup that went belly up. And uh, Martin Spech and I were sitting in the street in Berlin thinking what to do. And we thought, well, let's just try it. Uh, We founded Regis24, which is a data provider for identification and credit information. So a Schufa competitor, a credit bureau. And we started that in 2003, not having the slightest clue what it meant to start a company. We were lucky and survived.
1: Going back, what advice would you give young Max Mendler before coming up with the idea to build Regis24? I think one advice
2: is to not do too much market research because uh, if you do too much market research, you might actually find that there's big competitors out there. In our case, it was a joint venture of Bertelsmann and Deutsche Post and Schufa. And had we known what they do, um, we probably wouldn't have started. And now it's a company of 75 employees still alive in Berlin um, that would not exist otherwise. So be naive. So you kind of listen to your gut feeling on it. Yeah, yeah. I think you can over-rationalize and over-research things in the beginning, especially when you don't have the slightest clue yet of what your company is actually going to be.
1: And you just mentioned SofaTutor. So tell us a little bit about SofaTutor. We came across SofaTutor
2: early on. In fact, it was one of our employees, Bastian Buch, who knew two people at university, uh, Stefan and Andreas, they were still studying at the time wanted to start something and we met them and we had the chance to be the first angel investors and it turned out to be a wonderful solution for students to prepare for exams that so they have all the school content in beautiful little three-minute videos and you can use that to prepare for private tutoring it's a big company now
1: was that your first investment
2: yes that was my first angel investment
1: You already told us how you met these guys. Can you run us a little bit through the process? How did you go from meeting the two boys to then actually investing into the startup idea?
2: We met them for lunch and we saw that there was this drive and passion and spirit. I think at the time they wanted to start some online sharing tool for university students to collaborate. Nothing to do with the solution they have uh, today. That didn't matter all that much, but the energy was just contagious. And we felt we wanted to be part of that journey. And then when we had the chance to invest a tiny, tiny first seed round, we took it and never looked back.
1: So it was mainly the team that made you invest into that idea?
2: Yes, at that point, it was a team of two, the founders. But I think that's been the pattern ever since. I think at the stage that I like to invest in, which is very early, there usually isn't much of a company. All there is is the founders with some idea and then usually that idea changes over time. So I think all you can invest in is the founders.
1: And you mentioned you wrote a tiny, tiny ticket. What kind of ticket sizes are you normally writing as an angel investor? It's
0: between 25 and 100k. How many investments have you made in total? 10. 10 investments. Okay, do you want to tell us about some of your other investments that you're passionate about?
2: I had the chance to be one of the first investors in the first round of Raisin, Weltbahn, which is a fintech company in Berlin, Bonify, It's another fintech. Uh, They both started in our basement of Regis24, by coincidence. It already tells you something. I'm not a very structured, planned investor. I'm way too small for that anyway. So it's mainly opportunistic things that cross my path. So those I liked a lot. completely different one is Inne, which is founded by Irini, a Berlin-based Greek who started a femtech company. They're developing a new device launching in the next couple of weeks where you can measure your cycle with the precision of a classic urine-based test, your salvia.
1: So that's going to be cool. This sounds amazing.
2: I think it's cool that you
0: say you're quite unstructured and you kind of decide where to invest from a gut feeling. I think many investors or not yet investors, that's where they struggle with. So something is holding many people back. Maybe they have worries about something. Is there any tip that you can uh, that you can give how to cross that border, how to just do it in the end? I, I
2: think maybe they're just smarter than me, and that's why they're more structured. Well, obviously not, because it's working. I wouldn't say that. I think early-stage investment is always extremely risky. So uh, I don't know how to give advice. But for myself, I, I always invest under the assumption that the money is probably not coming back. And then when it does, I'm super happy. But I think it's impossible to foresee the future. Even founders with a plan, I mean, then the plan hits reality and then stuff happens. For VCs uh, today, most of the time, the strategy is to
0: invest into as many companies as possible while hoping that there is one unicorn one huge company that's going to come out of it and then all the um, all the investments are going to be worth it. Is that also something that you're looking
2: for? Are you secretly hoping for a unicorn? No, I think that's slightly different between VCs and and angels. I think as a VC, you kind of need that because you have a lot more cost and you know order to recuperate that you need to have this one or two big success stories. Also for your reputation, maybe you need that. As an angel investor, I don't care about unicorns. I care a lot more about the product. Is it something that makes the world a tiny bit a better place? I wouldn't invest in someone importing plastic toys from China, even if everyone said that's going to be the next unicorn. If I find an entrepreneurial personality and I can be part of that journey and I can see the path they take in their own entrepreneurial journey and I I get that privileged position to, to watch that, I think that's great. You just mentioned that you wouldn't
0: support a company that imports plastic toys from China. Are there any other morals or values that you invest by?
2: Yeah, as I said, I think think the product needs to make the world a better place. So it's not only moral standards of stuff that I wouldn't invest in. I think I have a positive selection list of stuff where I feel this is actually really good or could be if it works.
1: What are current problems or conflicts that you currently see that you would want to solve with the products that you invest in?
2: There's a lot to be done in energy and transportation. Now, unfortunately, my pockets are not nearly deep enough to be able to invest into those. Those are usually plays that need a lot more cash. So that's off limits. And I think, yeah, environmental topics. Right now, my main focus is on education. And there's lots of startups coming up there, Finally. And if I can support them with a small angel ticket, I'm always very happy.
0: Education, of course, is, is a big topic, especially due to the digitalization and the future of, of Germany and the world in general. How can we educate students the best and prepare
2: them for the future? Is it just putting iPads in schools or is that not an um, approach? There's nothing wrong with iPads, but that's not the solution. They might be a tiny part of a solution, but it's not about digital devices. It's more about the content and it's mainly about how we teach. So I'm much more focused on the quality of teaching, on the support you need to give teachers in order for them to do their best as a teacher. And I think that's also an area where there's not a lot of focus and a lot to be improved. The management in schools is poor, to say the least. The the software they employ to manage their employees is non-existent, mostly. The support teachers get in training and in feedback and improving their skills is almost zero. So I love the fact that we have digital pact, and that one day there'll be Wi-Fi in some of the schools that actually works. That's cool. That's infrastructure. It's good the state is investing there. I think after that is when we'll see the real real changes in education beginning. I also think the content we'll teach in schools will change. We're still a little backward in cramming information into kids' head that they can just Google later. And that's a bit of a waste of time. A lot of schools realize that. Teachers would be the first ones to tell you. And we're we're a little behind um, from a political perspective in cutting stuff from our curriculum. I think half of it can go and could be replaced by skill training f- stuff more relevant than cramming information into those little heads. Adding on to that,
0: there's a recent study I think that showed that the attention span of people in general is getting shorter and shorter. This, I'm sure, also applies to young kids. Isn't that also a problem? And shouldn't we work against that? Because having a sort of a long attention span and being able to focus on a certain topic and get deep into it is a skill I think every human needs in general. I would say this is also something that education has to look into.
2: Yeah, I think there's two, two parts to that. One is it's getting possibly more challenging for teachers to hold the attention of students during a class, which also means that the preparation of class is more time-consuming. You need to get better at what you do. And the second thing is, yes, I think kids need to learn how to study some topics in depth and read texts that are longer than a tweet, you know, survive long essays and get meaning out of that. But to be honest, it's been something that's been a bit challenging when I was a student as well. So not sure how much that has changed.
1: You were talking about your experience as a founder of Lehrermarkplatz. How did that help you actually in the process of investing into companies?
2: I think being a founder myself helps me to see or question the true challenges in a business model. So to get to the core of things where things might work or not in the future. And then also the experience helps me to understand that, you know, numbers are nice and plans are beautiful, but they usually don't survive the future. It, I think, makes me more immune to grandiose expectations of where your market cap will be after you IPO in six years time or something.
1: The knowledge that you have gained through founding, do you think if you wouldn't have done that, you would have missed something in order to make proper or good investments?
2: Yeah, I think one thing that is often overlooked is that my network helps me a lot in getting the opportunities to invest in the first place. I wouldn't hear about those investments otherwise. People wouldn't ask me, neither founders nor other investors, had I not started companies of my own. I would like to, since we're talking about
0: school, we have a very cool category called the angel ABC, and I would like to start that right now. Angel investing can be quite complicated because there are many complicated terms that get thrown around, and we would like to make those understandable for people who listen and don't know that much about angel investing. So I have the letters I and L for you, and I would like you to explain them to me or explain the words with the letters to me as if I was a five-year-old.
2: The first one is I for IPO. Okay, so an IPO. A company can be a bit like a cake. And there can be a birthday party if things go really well. And then um, at an IPO, everyone gets a chance to ask for a piece of that cake. Um, It's a difference to normal companies where the cake is locked away in a cupboard and it's very private and you can't reach it.
0: I like that. That was
2: really good. (laughs) Okay, all right, thank you very much. And the next one is L for liquidation. Liquidation, so starting a company is a game. At the beginning of a game, you never know who wins or whether there's a winner at all and you might lose. And uh, if you lose at playing the startup game, There's a moment they call liquidation, which is a bit like cleaning up your room after you play Lego with your friends. Um, You know, some of the stuff needs to be arranged. Some of it needs to be thrown away. It's just part of the game.
0: And explaining it in a, let's say someone knows a bit more about angel investing. So what is the liquidation process? When does it start? And um, what does it do
2: exactly? When you realize that your company won't survive, a company is, is an entity, right? It exists. It lives. And in order to shut it down, to liquidate it, you need to follow some procedures. You need to get rid of the assets, distribute what is still there to those who you owe something to and make sure everything is in order and can be locked up and closed. It's a nasty, nasty part of the process.
0: An IPO, the cake is now open for everyone. What does that mean exactly? How in the real world would you get a
2: part of this cake? Well, I mean, at an early stage of a startup, very few people can invest. Angels, for example. Then later you might have VCs. And that at one point you open it to the stock market. So everyone via the stock market could buy a tiny share of your, your company. And the moment where you first put your shares, your parts of the company onto the stock market is called IPO, initial public offering. And public because everyone in the public can participate.
1: And the good thing is you can trade the pieces of cake afterwards with people.
2: Mm, Even once you've tasted them, that's weird. (laughs) I heard the passion
0: in your voice when you said that.
1: (laughs) We talk about cake. Mm, How can I not?
0: (laughs) True. All right, thank you. That was the Angel ABC.
1: So Max, right before we talked about the networks that you have and that you tap into for deal flow purposes... Did you ever work together with other angels when you invested into startups?
2: I've co-invested quite a bit, initially with Martin Specht, my co-founder from from Regis, partly because it helped me to to discuss the potential of those startups. And then later more and more through EO, the Entrepreneurs' Organization, which is a global network of uh, founders, where you know sometimes somebody pings you and says, hey, there's this startup, they're looking for a first round, you might be interested, it could be in your domain, and then you end up co-investing or not.
1: Have you ever had a situation where you really felt like, okay, this person might be beneficial as my co-investor or even the lead investor, but you're not going to do the deal because the way of how you do business or the way you want to advise a startup on is significantly different or you have different values?
2: For those leads coming through the networks, I don't think it's that values question because that's already solved. Right? I mean, there are people I know well or people within EO who share, share those values. So luckily I haven't been in that situation. Even though, yes, I mean, there are people out there who I wouldn't want to co-invest with.
1: Let's talk honestly. Let's talk, Tachlis. You worked hard for the money that you've earned. Now you look at these investments and you invest your own private money. How do you feel about that? Is, are there any fears? How, how, how was Why
2: are you so calm? <laughs> <laughs> when you invest in startups, it's probably better to consider that money gone from the first day. Because otherwise you will worry all the time. And I think maybe that's partly a reason why I'm calm. Also, I've been super lucky. Some of those uh, investments turned out to be really, uh, really beautiful. There's a lot of luck involved. I wouldn't advise anyone to invest into startups because they want to quickly make lots of money. It's, it's super risky. You never know what's going to happen.
0: But what are you, in the end, what are you hoping to get out of it? What's your, what would be your, let's say, realistic but at the same time ideal outcome?
2: I mean, obviously, it's really nice when money comes back. and Some of those investments have had a 10 times, some even much bigger return. That can happen if you invest really early. But I think the main thing for me is to get that privileged seat where you can experience the crazy entrepreneurial life of someone else without having to go through the, the pains yourself. That's rare. And then I think it also feels good. It's almost a bit of a giving back kind of thing when you you have the feeling that maybe you help to support an entrepreneur who's at the stage that you once were when we were looking for for money. It feels good to help them along. I don't think it's donating money. You still have to be positive about the prospects of that uh, venture, but it still feels good.
1: So literally a business angel to the rescue. Or I I liked it how you said it's just nice to see the journey. It feels like a very expensive ticket to the cinemas, um, how you explain it. But I mean, it seems like a form of entertainment.
2: Yeah, it it partly is. But I also have been super lucky with that first company that just happened to work out. So I did have the extra cash you need for that. and That made it easy to do. Unfortunately, not everyone is in that situation. Have you already become a mentor for others? I always find it super difficult to give people tips or advices because every journey is so different. I'm happy to share my experience. That might help or might not help. I've also mentored uh, young founders before. um, That also is extremely inspiring for me because I see their energy and enthusiasm and I get energized myself. And I sometimes feel I learn at least as much as they do from the process.
1: So in the f- future, do you want to focus more on angel investments or entrepreneurship?
2: I'm too small for that. For me, angel investments is a nice hobby. I'm a full-time entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Leer Markplatz keeps me very busy. I'm the CEO of that company right now. We feel we can grow it into something significant. So that's, that's going to keep me busy. And then investing is something I do on the side. Do you have a role model? I don't have an entrepreneurial role model, no. And an angel role model? I know a lot of angels and I uh, have the highest respect for a whole bunch of them. I don't necessarily have a role model in someone like Christian Vollmann, who has, happens to be sitting on my board at Lehrer Markplatz, who's the greatest in investing because I, I, he's huge and I'm just a tiny player in that market. I wouldn't call him a role model, but he's a cool chap. Should the
0: educational system in Germany or also in other countries, should we set it out a bit more in in a way that people are willing to become founders or even have the mindset that founding is is a thing? Because this was never taught to
2: me. I didn't know that this was a a thing that you can do. Germany is maybe the country where it's the most difficult to start an education business. Other countries are much more open. I think we're really lacking behind. And that's partly because of the unlucky situation with our federal system which makes it different for new players to enter a market but it's also a mindset question in germany a lot of people think education is done by the state full stop right and then you maybe have a handful of private schools which people think are elitist which is not the true uh, and not true in the majority of cases so yes it's unfortunate that we're we're far behind in that it's also very unfortunate that when there's money spent for digital things in education. It's usually given to one of the super big players. And uh, then you have some sort of Schulcloud where people invest millions and millions and millions of taxpayers' money for 250 euros. I mean, uh, users, that's something that we acquire in a single day and they spend millions to acquire that in years. That's a bit of a German thing, right? You can't get fired. Not sure you can get fired as a public administration uh, uh, employee in, in the same way. But you, can't, you don't get fired for hiring one of the big guys. It's a, it's a shame that startups have it a bit more difficult here than, say, in the UK or the Netherlands.
1: And just out of curiosity, do you think the role of the big technology firms such as Google, talking about Google Classroom, for example, will also tap into the German market at some point?
2: Yes, and they're already partly there, even if not in the most mm-hmm. official way. There is a lot of resistance in Germany. You hear a lot of schools saying, hey, before we do anything with Google, we'd rather build a search engine ourselves. It's part of the reason why things are slow. And then, obviously, it's also partly a good, a good thing to be a little careful with those big data-gobbling companies like Google or, or others and to, and to look at data protection and privacy, especially when you're dealing with uh, data of students. Max, thank you so much for
0: joining us today. And we wish you all the best and all of luck for your next future investments.
2: Thank you so much. It's been fun being here.
0: And as always, thank you very much to everyone who listened to this wonderful episode of Loving Angels Instead, the podcast for aspiring angel investors.